You know, over time, I have come to realize that actually the knowledge and experience that I have is extremely valuable and, you know, it's important for me and for our communities that I do speak of. Welcome to Insider Career Conversations, a podcast that highlights unique careers and non-traditional education paths. I'm your host, Sylvia Juarez, an education consultant and first-generation advocate. This season's conversations touch on immigrant community advocate roles and how at times they require a specific type of community engagement. Each episode features guests well-versed in their field. We discuss their personal and professional journeys. My co-host this season is Yari Ortiz. She is someone I admire and have worked with for years to support undocumented students. In the past, we have focused on higher education, which evolved into recognizing the informal information and career advice students need to be successful in college and beyond. Now, we've reconnected and we're bringing those conversations with new perspectives. Hi, Yadi. How are you doing today? Hi, Sylvia. I'm doing really well. I'm, you know, I'm happy to be here with you again today, and I'm really excited for this podcast and to learn about our interviewee today. Yada, you and I have often talked about how, excuse the French, we always think that the policies suck in this country when it comes to immigrants and how we have to always be advocating. As first-generation professional, I know that a lot of what I do in education is constantly having to work with individuals to understand that policies need to be advanced, revised, or scrapped depending on how we need to work for our student populations. How do you feel about that when it comes to your work that you're doing with pre-health dreamers? Oh, yes. It's always about let's modify it. Let's make it better. But not just that. I, For me, it's always really important to make sure that all of these policies are getting implemented. I think that's where we at pre-health dreamers see a huge gap even in states that do have policies that support undocumented and immigrant communities, sometimes the folks or the individuals or the professionals trying to implement, sometimes there's a gap in, in when they're trying to support the undocumented community or the immigrant community. So I think it's everything that you said, Sylvia, plus even more. Well, as you know, I'm the one that tackles the education component. So I always want to know where the professional came from, you know, their their background and their education. So our listeners can see how they can fit in in these opportunities with um, social justice being so prominent. But let's start defining some of those roles and feeling comfortable with them. Today, we are fortunate enough to have Seema Agnani, the executive director of National Capacity. Welcome, Seema. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. My name is uh, Seema Agnani, and National Capacity stands for the National Coalition for Asian Pacific American Community Development. But we call it National Capacity because that very much captures what we are trying to do, which is to build local capacity in communities across the country to really respond to the growing needs of Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, and Native Hawaiians. So I have been in this role as executive director for about five years now, but I've been part of this organization really since its inception. I used to work at an organization called Chaya CDC in Queens, New York. While I was there, this coalition was forming. And so um, we joined National Capacity from the very beginning and have been part of 
growing what is now a coalition of more than 100 organizations around the country. When you talk about coalitions, are you saying that you're bringing together a variety of different organizations from across the U.S.? Yes. So we have all of our member organizations. They're all community-based organizations working at the intersection of housing, economic justice, immigrant rights, as well as indigenous rights, right? So with the Native Hawaiian community, as well as with many Pacific Islander communities, they are indigenous populations. So we work on issues related to immigrant rights, as well as those for Native populations. Seema, that is so amazing that you talk about just how you do a lot of work with housing. At Pre-Held Dreamers, we do a lot of work with making sure that institutions of higher education are not prohibiting the advancement of undocumented and immigrant students. And also we do a lot of work around health access. And I just am really excited to hear more about the housing because it's something that's always interested me. I think Working with students, especially with immigrant and undocumented students, I have always seen that, you know, housing is a big issue and and it all correlates, right? It all works together and we need all of it, you know, education, health access. I see that you also do a lot of work with economic success or economic stability. I just think all of these things are so important and together, like the work that we're doing, it's really to support our students and and their families as well. We always want to see our students as a whole, like with their families. We're not just going to serve the students. We're also going to serve their families because of the family's not okay. Our students are not going to be okay. So I'm really excited to learn more about the work that you're doing. I think what's fascinating is that we're starting to talk more and more within the immigrant communities about our stories And part of our stories already by nature imply that we've had some challenges, some instabilities. And what we're talking about in terms of economic instabilities, housing instabilities, just different things that we're capturing here in this conversation. Before we came on air, I I mentioned we would have been a a force to be reckoned with if we would come together between (laughs) education, healthcare, and the different resources economically that, that we have here. So tell me if I have a student and they're talking about social justice being their passion and housing being something that is part of what they're interested in or economic challenges that certain communities have. What's your background? What did you study in college? What was it that kind of led you to this point in your life? Well, you know, I grew up in the Chicago metro area and at the University of Wisconsin, I studied environmental justice issues. I mean, essentially the environmental studies work was pretty new at that time. So I started to look at environmental issues as they intersected with the economy. And then in graduate school, I ended up going to urban planning school in at the University of Illinois in Chicago. And that's really where I ended up focusing on housing. You know, I think, as you all are saying, housing is such a key part of anyone's ability to live a good life. Um, And so for our communities, housing is, of course, you know, as new arrivals, as immigrant communities come to the U.S., housing is a big challenge, particularly as we've been living through a housing crisis in this country for, for many, many years, right? And so in graduate school, I initially went in thinking I wanted to be an urban planner, but the more I learned about the challenges of building affordable housing, the more I learned about 
the really the discriminatory, um, systemic discriminatory challenges that many communities faced in housing, I really ended up focusing there. You know, I met these community organizers in the south side of Chicago who were working on getting improvements to their apartments because it was a public housing development and all the residents and their children had health issues as a result of you know, the toxins that were uh, surrounding that housing. And so this one woman and her mother organized, uh, were organizing all the tenants to ask the housing authority to make improvements and make it more livable because it really did impact the kids' ability to study, to grow. All of those things, you know, are impacted if the housing is not healthy and safe and stable for that matter. So I entered it through environmental issues, through urban planning, and I don't know, just kept going and ended up here. (laughs) And as someone who also does a lot of work with the community, I know that we're constantly, even as directors, we wear so many hats. And I work from home, so I don't even have an office because then I think I would be doing a lot more than what I do, just maintaining the office. But as nonprofit directors, we wear so many different hats that we didn't even realize we were probably. Or I know I did. And I'll speak for myself and say that I didn't know I was going to wear so many hats. I just want to ask you as a fellow director of a nonprofit, like, what does your day look like? Because I know you're probably working with the community, rolling up your sleeves, but you're also not just within the community that you're serving or that you're working with, but you're also having really important conversations with a lot of decision makers. What does all that look like? What If somebody wants to go into nonprofit and work within the community and do advocacy, you know, do immigrants' rights type of work, what do they look, have to look forward to? I mean, what I love about this job is the diversity in my day-to-day, right? Every day oh, looks different. Yeah, there is yeah. no you know, routine. One day I'm speaking to senior leaders at the White House, the next day I'm managing our budgets. You know, I do enjoy looking at the organization as a whole and being able to um, engage in different parts of it. But if you're lucky and you're at an organization that is doing well, you know, you have enough staff support to so that you're not holding everything. I think when we were a smaller organization, it was much harder. As we've grown, things have started to improve. And now I can do the work that I really wanted to do when I came to the national level, which was really to, you know, advocate for our communities on the national level. I don't work directly in communities anymore, at least in my professional capacity, outside of going to visit these organizations that are in our coalition and see what they're doing but I see my job as taking what I'm learning and bringing it to DC and really asking public policymakers to do more for our communities. What I love about your journey and what you've shared with us here is that your, your work actually started with the space of what housing entails, right? It wasn't necessarily the language or the vocabulary or the policymaking or the laws you started with the space and how you educated, how you received your education. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think going deep into one issue area to Yadi's earlier question about, you know, if somebody's interested in going in this direction, I would say 
the the most important thing I did in my career and as I've continued this work is that I have built on the foundation that I uh, previously worked in, right? Going deeper into one issue area really allowed me to become, you know, more of an expert on it and be able to really help others understand what their housing rights are and how, how housing is developed. So I think both my education and the community work and staying in one area of work for a while and really building my own understanding of it allows me to grow and navigate a lot of different areas of work now because I have that grounding. Well, it seems like you're a person that has like a critical thinking base. Has that always been true for you? Like when you were in growing up in Chicago? Yeah, I guess I always felt a strong sense of responsibility. You know, I felt like Growing up in Chicago, you know, my parents were immigrants. They they had to learn how to navigate systems in the U.S. And because I had the privilege of growing up in the U.S. and had a better understanding, I guess I've always felt a strong sense of responsibility that, you know, everyone should have that right and everyone should have that kind of access. And so, you know, I definitely think that the fact that my parents came to the U.S. as immigrants and, you know, as immigrants, you do face challenges. You help other family when they come to the U.S., all of those experiences, as well as going back to India and really understanding my life within the context of what's happening around the world, you know, it really gave me a clear understanding of where I sit and what I could contribute to a broader movement for social justice. And Seema, I can completely correlate with what you're saying. I was born in the U.S. I grew up in the U.S. My parents are immigrants and they they immigrated here from Mexico uh, back in the 70s, um, went back and then came back in the 80s. For me, advocacy and immigrants' rights, it's something that's embedded in me. I feel like I was born with it. And I also know like for us to be directors of nonprofits, like there's so many skills and we're always trying to tell, well, I know for us, we're always trying to tell our students, you know, there's so many skills that sometimes are embedded in you and you don't even realize it just from personal experiences or even things that have been handed down to us from our cultures, from our family values. I don't know. What skills do you feel are very important in the job that you're doing that students should maybe consider or they may not know that they have those same skills because they may have similar backgrounds to us? What skills do you think are really important? I mean, I think in the position I'm in now, Probably the most important skill that I have is the ability to work with a diverse set of stakeholders, right? I mean, I move between people who come from all sorts of backgrounds and perspectives and having the ability to engage with different types of people, having strong listening skills is important, but also you know, being able to build consensus, right? When you're in a leadership position, you're often trying to find the right path forward with a group of people. When there are disagreements, when there are different strategies people want to follow, really my job is to listen to everyone and try to help us get to, okay, this is what we need to do to get to where we're going. And so I think that's something I learned from my parents. You know, they came to the U.S. and 
help to establish organizations in Chicago that are still around. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of those learnings came from them. So I have to ask, because a larger part of the populations that in undergraduate programs are females, and more and more we're, we're talking about equity and gender roles and opportunities. For you ladies as women leaders, what have been some of the challenges that you've had to think about? I know Yadi has mentioned in the past to me about always being singled out to be the one, to be the outspoken one. So Yadi, maybe you have a different example you want to give us, but is there something that you see as female leaders at this level, the national level, that you want to give as, as advice to young women who are thinking about the issues that they're passionate about? I think for me, Sylvia, I think one of the biggest, again, I always talk about coming from an advocacy lifestyle from my parents, and I was always very reactive, right? When you're passionate, you tend to be very reactive. When you care, you tend to be very reactive. And a lot of times as women, we carry that passion into our professional world, which I see it as amazing. I hire very passionate, strong women to lead the work because I know we're going to get the work done. But as a professional myself, and in just some of the spaces that I've been, I've had to learn how to not be so reactive and be more critical and logical in the way that I speak and the things that I say. And I also have learned how to read the room first and who's in there and how can I, you know, create this bridge between the individual or individuals in the room to make the goals that I'm I'm trying to implement or trying to be successful in? How can I really work with the individuals in this room? Because a lot of times they're not going to be like me or act like me or come from the same background as me, but how can I work with them to make the things that I need to make happen? I've had to learn how to be very, uh, all of these like words that, you know, we throw around how to be very strategic and very, you know, logical and very, you know, be a very big critical thinker. Those are all skills that I really had to learn because I was always very passionate and thinking with my heart. I had to kind of combine both. And I think sometimes even women, some of, you know, my colleagues who are directors, sometimes they're very shy. So they've also had to learn how to navigate some of the conversations when at this big table with very authoritative males and men with a lot of power. And and we've had to learn how to navigate a lot of these spaces. Sometimes it's very draining. I'm not going to lie. It's been, you want to not be logical. You want to not be, a you just want to say it how it is. And so I think that for me has been an experience and a learning process. Yeah, I definitely identify with that. You know, it's um, you really have to find your courage. I love that phrase, find your courage, because often as as women, we're not encouraged. We're encouraged to do the work, but not take the spotlight in a capacity to be an authority in that issue or that initiative. Has that been the case for you? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, over time, you realize that you do actually know more than what many other people do, right? I think for myself, because I've worked in communities, you know, you realize, particularly here on the national level in DC, a lot of the policymakers are so disconnected from the communities 
that they're writing policies for, it really was shocking to me when I first got to DC. So, you know, over time, I have come to realize that actually the knowledge and experience that I have is extremely valuable. And, you know, it's important for me and for our communities that I do speak up. It's also trusting in your own perspective and recognizing that it is actually bigger than you and important right. to speak up, you know. Right. So, Simon, because you are, and I have to take the opportunity for, for listeners that might be interested in what is the DC work, right? Because that's a whole nother level. That's a whole nother aspirations. I know that when I talk to students about how what they want to get involved with and those that are interested in social justice and want to really move up in the ranks, in your impression, as you see this interesting times that we live in right now, as a person of color, what would be something that you would give as advice to those that want to be at the national level. And I don't want to say politics, work with the politics, because I think that's a different type of conversation. But at the national level, what the cause is that we are trying to move forward, like myself, education, Yadi, healthcare, and you, the varied representation that you have through the coalition, what would be some of the things that you want to point out or you're excited about seeing in the future as you're kind of there firsthand watching it? Yeah, I mean, I guess... Despite the mess that this country is in, I actually have a lot of hope because I keep reminding people, you know, the fact that reparations are being discussed in the halls of Congress is not a small matter. I don't know that that's ever happened before, you know, and this president, whatever critiques people may have, you know, there have been advances in, you know, there's a new office of racial equity within the Department of Treasury now, things like that, you know, are steps that they're taking that I hope will be there in the long run that will give us tools to really continue to make progress, you know, and I've always felt things were going to get worse before they got better. So I'm just hoping that this is the worst (laughs) they were going to get. And now we're on an upward trajectory. Let's hope. But I do see changes, positive changes happening in D.C. And at least we're able to talk about race and gender in a way that we never really were able to before. So that to me is progress. I agree. I agree because I think this allows for the generations that are coming through to work on things that we're touching on now. It's important that within itself be an opportunity, a platform where you can already talk about that race is something that can be discussed without it being in the corners or negotiated somewhere outside of the open area that it should be in. I think that that's important because I know that a lot of the students I work with don't want to touch on that for that reason, is that they're not accustomed to or they feel that it's something that will be a detriment to them versus me advocating that they, you know, highlight where the difference, diverse background that they are coming from. And it's so great that you are able to give us that firsthand, you know, perspective of what you're seeing happen in Washington, D.C. I don't think I see it as directly, Seema, to be honest. For me, it's more, you know, working with communities and with organizations. But I think that's what gives me hope. You brought up the word hope. And to me, when I think of hope, the work that I do is very difficult. And I'm pretty sure the work that you do is very, very difficult. And for me, I think 
where the hope comes in and the positivity of things are going to be better down the line is I'm just seeing so many individuals and so many organizations doing a lot of work. And you're always surrounded by individuals who care and who are pushing for a lot of policy. So I always have conversations with individuals like, well, there's nothing we can do about it. That's just how it is. But then I turn the other way and I see a lot of people and a lot of organizations. Do we have it right all the time? Maybe, maybe not. Do we say it the right way? Maybe, maybe not. But I just see so much passion when I'm working in nonprofit. And that's a huge difference of being a director in higher education and a director in the nonprofit world. Sometimes in higher education, I see like you're sometimes even having like to advocate at your campus to make change happen which is great, but it's a little bit more difficult when you're you're trying to make change and sometimes you're alone trying to push for that change. Whereas when you're in the nonprofit, you're, you're constantly collaborating with so many organizations and individuals who are passionate about the very causes that you're passionate about. And I think for me, that's something that gives me hope, but I'm glad to hear your perspective of what you get to see in Washington, D.C. and the changes that are happening. Well, I'm excited to hear the word hope and passion still being tossed about in conversations like ours, because that's why immigrants come to this country, whether they come from Mexico or India or other countless countries that we know of, and we've supported the families coming from those places are important that we remember that that's why they came here, because they had hope that here would be a better opportunity for their families. And they were passionate about it enough that in some cases, gave up a lot to be here in the U.S. And we need to give them that respect that they need in, in whatever capacity, whether it be in education, healthcare, and beyond. So ladies, you are some phenomenal resources out there, not only for the students who are hearing you speak today and address how you do your roles and how you carry them out, but also as colleagues. I'm really excited that you guys are out there doing the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Yadi and Seema, for sharing your insight. We need to continue to advocate for resources and empower individuals and hopefully professionally give them some insight so that um, they want to come and fill some of the shoes that we have out here. Thank you. Thank you, Sylvia. And thank you, Seema, for this great discussion. It was great talking to you. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. For our listeners, stay tuned for more insider career conversations that showcase career paths within immigrant community advocacy. We appreciate you listening and look forward to next time. Insider Career Conversations is a production of Juarez Consulting. For more information, you can visit JuarezConsultingInc.com. This episode was produced by Silvia Juarez Magana, with production help and editing by Kazmara Hall.